your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. That's where we've been for the last four weeks, and I had planned to wrap up last week of our discussion, but I just couldn't kind of get away from it this week, and so we're going to stick here this week, and we're going to give you a few things this week as a sort of a culmination. So if you, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry's got some back there. Just shoot your hand in the air. Um, looks like we're good. Cool. Very good. Um, just a couple of things related to housekeeping. I, I do want to emphasize again for us, if this is your first time worshiping with us, thank you, but we're excited to have you here. Um, next week is uh, what we're calling Vision Sunday. And we're really excited about this because next week sort of marks like 11 months for us doing corporate worship together. And we've been doing this now for a, a little bit over a year, just in general, Buffalo City Church has existed, but we started in community groups, we started meeting in homes together, just in, in a place, and if you're interested, we, we do have four community groups that meet throughout the course of the week, we get together and we, we spend time together digesting um, what we talk about on Sunday mornings in God's Word, but more than that even, community group exists to be a place where we come together and just sort of like refresh, recharge, build one another up, carry out what we talk about a lot, the one another's in Scripture. To love one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another out to love and good works, to bear one another's burdens, etc., etc., etc. There are a whole host of those commands given to us in Scripture. And so that's sort of the purpose of community group, is to get together regularly. It's not to commit to a meeting throughout the course of the week. And I think that's our default, right? So even for us here, as we come on a Sunday morning, we get to Sunday morning and we are committing to a meeting. But as the church, we know that we're the people of God. We're not a building. Obviously, we, we don't own this space. This space is rented to us, and we, we come here weekly, and we set up, and we tear down, and we do what we need to do in order to focus on the fact that we are together the people of God. So we're not committing to a meeting. We're not committing to a Sunday night, a Tuesday night, a, Monday, a Thursday night, or a, a Sunday morning. What we're doing is we're committing to people. We're committing to the people that God has providentially placed in our lives so that we can build into one another, so that we can carry out the commands to love one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works, to do those things in the, in the context of the local church. That is the purpose. That is why the local church exists. It exists to bring God glory by demonstrating uh, and following his commands in, in this context. So, next week, I, that was a huge rabbit trail. I just went down. But um, next week is Vision Sunday. So we're going to do, like I said, we've been doing this for about 11 months now, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to sort of just take a brief moment to reflect on where we've come, right? So um, we're going to take maybe five minutes, five to ten minutes, and just reflect on where God had us, where he's brought us, right? And then we're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about what God is doing in our midst, and we're going to kind of give it a tag. We're going to seek to bring into focus what God is doing. Um, we're going to seek to bring that into focus so that we as a people can just be together and have unity and understanding in what direction we're moving, which is really important for us. So there are some exciting opportunities that are going to come as a result of this, um, and we're going to have uh, multiple people up here speaking about various things, um, everything from the way that the church is organized to um, all the way down to uh, some some things related to our kiddos, and some things related to uh, related to studying God's Word together, and related to community groups, and to something that we haven't yet uh, established membership. 
So I would really encourage you to come back and just hear, listen to what we're what, what's going on here at Buffalo City Church and to be together again because it's about being committed to people and to carrying out the commands to love one another, to encourage one another, and all of those one another's. Um, and it's not just about the function here. Um, and we find, I, I, I think, I genuinely believe this, we met together with our community group leaders on, on, uh, on Friday night, and I think, I genuinely believe that, that that space, like, so we do carve out that space, but when we're committed to people over a meeting, when we, when we have that mindset, it is refreshing. It's refreshing. Um, because we're coming in, and, and our kids, like, we have three kids, three and under, and they're screaming, and they're going nuts, and it's always a struggle to get out of the house, but when we get together with the people of God, who have grace, who demonstrate, who understand our struggles, who understand what we're going through, um, that is refreshing, and that is a, an incredibly positive experience. Again, this is not community for community's sake, but community for the sake of loving one another because of the fact that we've been loved by God in, in just an intense and incredible um, Incredibly profound way. So, okay, so the, I wanted to pitch that because I think it's really important. So, if you have plans, please cancel them and come here. Um, that's what I'm saying. I think it's really, it's really important for us to think about these things together. So, okay, that was an aside. Let's get into our text this morning. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10 again. And like I said, I, I had planned to move away from that, this this morning, but, but I was just stuck here this week, and, and so uh, I, I sort of midweek was redirected away from where I had intended to go, um, and, uh, and, and came back here, because I think there are some just really important fundamental things that we need to do as a church and be thinking about um, in order to, uh, to, to, to grow as a people together in togetherness and in our love for God. So, over the course of the last four weeks, if you haven't been with us, we've been in, in, in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 42, and we've really discussed four different characters that appear in that text. Um, the first, and, and Jesus interacting with these, and with the, in, in, the, in, the, in the case of the Samaritan, he actually is telling this story, he's telling a parable uh, to, the, to, to the lawyer and to the people who are subsequently hearing of the crowd that is around um, and so we have three interactions and a story told in this. And, and so we highlighted, what we wanted to do is highlight each of those characters and show us what they, what they tell us about what it means to love God and to love neighbor. So we've said as we've gone through this, if you look at verse 27 in chapter 10, you see this is what we've called sort of our thesis statement. This is sort of at the core of this, the, these verses uh, the, the, this is, so the setup is this. In verse 25, the lawyer stands up and he's testing Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus just turns the question on him and says, what are you, What's written? What, what do you see in the law? And what is it? And the lawyer, knowing the law, because he's a, a lawyer, which makes total sense, he looks back at Jesus and says correctly, um, straight out of Deuteronomy 6 and then Leviticus 18, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then we sort of have this lead-in then to the Good Samaritan, that this popular parable that we see in the beginning of verse 30, but in verse 28, um, Jesus just says, he affirms him, he said, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And then we have this really interesting verse in verse 29 that's really important for us. Um, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so then we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and then a, a, a piece of text that often doesn't get lumped together with this 
this concept, but is, is vitally important for us as we consider uh, the Good Samaritan, and that's the, the story of Mary and Martha. Um, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking up Jesus' teaching. We see Martha being busy and distracted and worried and doing these things um, so that she might serve Jesus. And then we see some, some just a really interesting interaction with Jesus coming out of that as well. So we focus on these four characters, right? The lawyer, the Samaritan, uh, Mary, and then Martha. And those four characters sort of create this, um, this big, broad portrait of what it means to love God and to love neighbor. So I'm going to give you, like, the, the big ideas. Where am I here? Okay. I'm, like, way off. Okay. So um, he, I'm going to give you the, the four big ideas, and those are actually on the, on the PowerPoints, Ralph. So um, I'm just going to walk through each of these, and these are what we've talked about for the last four weeks and what, what, what sort of has been the thrust and the underlying understandings of this overall text. So in week one, we, we said that the lawyer's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a selfish and exclusive posture that keeps us from loving our neighbor. Um, and that is, so the lawyer actually operates as a negative example of what it means to love neighbor. Okay, go ahead to the next one. And then we see the positive example of what it means to love neighbor in the story, the parable of the Samaritan, Right? The Samaritan in Jesus' parable gives us an example of a merciful and inclusive posture that teaches us about loving our neighbor. We talked a lot about the fact that, that the Samaritan operated regardless of, of ethnicity, regardless of, of any perceived barrier, right? So it, when the lawyer, the lawyer is a Jew, and when the lawyer looked at Jesus and he said, who is my neighbor, what he wanted Jesus to say is, my neighbor, or your neighbor is a fellow Jew. But Jesus goes on to tell us a story about a Samaritan. And a Samaritan, according to a Jew, was like the lowest of the low in society. This was, this was like a profound uh, expression of racism in first century Palestine. Um, the Samaritan was the lowest of the low for the Jew. And Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who keeps the law and fulfills what it means to love neighbor as given in, in the law by Moses in Leviticus 18. So, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a big thing there, and, and we'll, we'll kind of draw on that as we go. And then week three, we moved from loving neighbor then to loving God, and we said Mary's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a restful, trusting, instructable posture that teaches us about loving God. It talks a lot about God's word and what that means for us and how we engage that together regularly. Um, and then last week, we talked about Martha then. Um, and this is important because this is the, all, the exact opposite of Mary. And, 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 and Luke actually draws these two characters in contrast to show us, to give us some dynamics here so that we see how, um, how it look, or what it looks like to love God. So Martha's interaction with Jesus gives an example of a distracted, self-reliant posture that keeps us from loving God. So that's where we've been, and that's what we've been talking about, and I hope that it all kind of makes sense. So we have negative example of lawyer, negative example of loving neighbor, we have a positive example of loving neighbor in the Samaritan, we have a negative example of what it means to love God in Martha, and a positive example of what it means to love God in, in Mary. So that's a lot, and, and so I'm, I'm giving you the crash course right here. We talked a lot about nuances within the text, um, but then uh, we, we talked about a significant amount of takeaways, right? We talked about a bunch of different takeaways from that. So I want to revisit some of those and maybe restate those for us this morning. That's kind of just going to drive our time together. That's going to be our focus this morning is some of these takeaways. And then maybe, maybe sprinkle in some, some new thoughts too as well as we, we consider this together. So let's read the text. We need to do that. We need to read the text. We need to read verses 25 
through, uh, through 42. Um, so I'm going to read that for us, and then I'm going to pray uh, because we need help here in this text. So, And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your life, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Verse 30. Jesus replied to him and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put, he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, this is the lawyer speaking, and he said to him, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, and who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again that we can come to this text and see this portrait painted by your servant Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit. And we know that looking at a text like this, is, is there's a lot here, there's a lot going on, so we need the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that indwells each of us, if we are in Christ, to illuminate this text for us so that we can see clearly what you want to, to, for us to see this morning. We're going to just a blessing to look together at your word, to know that this is a living and active... God, we know that our hearts look at this and sometimes we think to ourselves, what is going on? God, so we need your help, even now. Be here with us as we consider these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Okay, so like I said, I just want to give you some additional takeaways, some restate some of the things that we've talked about, um, because I do believe that drilling this home is, is of vital importance to us. So we're just going to take these characters, we're not necessarily going to take them in order, but I'm going to take them in, in order of, of the way that I think uh, will be most helpful to us at Buffalo City Church. So the first thing that I want I want to give you is just is just considering Martha. That's who we talked about last week, and that that's where we were. Um, and, and so we're actually going to kind of work backwards just a little bit. So the first takeaway is this: it's simply this. Immersion in the truth of the gospel will keep us from poisonous self-reliance and guilt. 
Again, immersion in the truth of the gospel will keep us from poisonous self-reliance and guilt. So we talked a lot about last week, we talked about Martha, and we talked about how she was, as she came to Jesus, she postured herself in a way that was, that was not as a learner or as uh, someone who was instructable, but as someone who came to Jesus and said, look at the things that I'm doing. And then we talked about, so that's just a self-reliance. I think we have that contained within us, right? We come to Jesus, right? Look at all these things that I'm doing. And often that turns for us into a comparison game, right? It turns for us into a, um, I'm comparing myself to the person next to me. And that's exactly what Martha does here, right? She compares herself to Mary. She says, look at Mary. She's just sitting there. She's not doing anything. She's like, tell her to come help me. And Jesus says, no, like, what she's doing is right and correct because I'm Jesus and I am imparting the words of life. I'm giving her the exact way for her to come before or to have communion with me. I'm speaking the truth about who I am and what I'm going to accomplish so that, uh, so that she might inherit eternal life. Even like the lawyer asks in the question in verse 26 of Luke 10. So he gives this to her. And this is a really, really important point for us to reiterate. Because I think it's just so vital for us. Um, let me give you a, a bit of an example. Um, and where I want to go with this is just sort of the motivation for why we do things. Why we do things in our world, right? So we're often motivated by either, one, self-reliance or guilt, just like Martha was. So we're often motivated by that. But what the Bible tells us is that that's an illegitimate way to be motivated. If you feel guilty to do something, that, that's, not, that's not a proper motivation. So this, this idea just kind of got me thinking, and I thought to myself, okay, so like, what are things that just like go in our world, right? Okay, so like our cars, right? So if you expect your car to take you from A to B, you can't put water in the gas tank, right? I'm not a mechanic, and I know that. Like, you don't have to be a mechanic, you don't have to go to trade school, you don't have to do those things to understand that putting water in your gas tank is going to result in problems, right? Probably catastrophic ones. So, but, but that's what we do when we focus, when we use guilt and, and self-reliance to be our motivation to serve others or to serve God, or to love, love God. Um, this, is, this is exactly what they're saying. This is like pro, proper prioritiz prioritization that Martha, that Martha lacked in this moment. She saw Jesus and she thought that she needed to do rather than rest. And this is the gospel, right? The gospel says... You can't do this. You can't achieve this on your own. This chasm that's built because of your sin, that's open wide because of, of your sin, this communion that you cannot have because you exist in Adam, that, that chasm that's opened up needs to be, needs to be uh, spanned by someone other than you. You cannot do it. It's Jesus who does it. So this is, the, this is the, the proper prioritization. Martha looks at Jesus and says, Jesus is going to be here, I've got to serve. And when things aren't going well, she feels guilty, she starts to compare herself, she, she's acting in her self-reliance. So she thought that she needed to do rather than rest. Or to perform rather than soak in the words of life that Jesus were, was giving to her. And not that serving is wrong, right? Okay, so we talk about that a lot. We talk about serving others. There's like even that whole thing I gave you about Vision Sunday. We're like sitting down. We want to we want to be active in one another's lives, carrying out the one another's of Scripture, living together, um, living our lives together as as those who are in Jesus, as those who have experienced a new identity in Jesus. 
Obviously, serving is important. We even see that in the, in the, in the, 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 the parable of the Samaritan. It's just not primary, right? It, 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 it flows out of a love for God. But it almost seems insane to me. It almost seems insane to me that we get this backwards, right? It almost seems insane. Because God has given us his word, right? We talked a lot about it. We'll talk about this in a minute. God has given us his word in just this profound outpouring of revelation about who he is. It's like all of these things. God is creating all things. He's holding all things together. He's sustaining all life at any moment. It is a, by the grace of God that I don't just fall into a puddle on the floor right here. I believe that with all of my heart. It is by the grace of God that any moment of any day and every breath is a gift from God. We have this direct revelation about a God who sustains that. Even billions of light years away, stars that are burning up are be under his control, under his purview. That's what scripture tells us about who God is. And yet, we somehow, as the, the entire cosmos is being held together by, by, by God in the word of his power, we somehow think in our, in our finiteness, in our finitude, in our whatever word that is, we think that our weak actions are relevant. Like we think that we somewhere have something to do, something to, to offer. These are temporary. The things that we do on this earth are so temporary. All flesh is like grass. And so when we look at the word, God's word and we see who God is, we, we, we look at it and we rather, rather than do something like Martha, we soak up God's word and the words that lead us to life and lead us to live lives that long to bring God glory by loving him through keeping his commands. That's our motivation for going out. That's our motivation for loving others is the, the understanding that we have been served in a dramatic way by God himself. But we think God, okay, so we think God is angry with us. You hear this all of the time. We think God is punishing us, and so we feel guilty. It's like, oh, well, last week I only read my Bible for 30 seconds, and so God is punishing me now because things aren't going well. Or because we're not, we think we're, we're not doing enough. Like I, I saw a homeless guy over by Walmart at the holding up the sign that said hungry, and I didn't do anything. And so then we feel like we're being punished. Because you look at the person who said, I feel guilty because the mercy that's been demonstrated to me, I haven't, I haven't demonstrated, we feel guilty when we don't do anything. But we talked about this last week. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And then, and then we come to a context like this, where we show up on a Sunday morning because we believe that, we, because we feel guilt. We feel guilt in our hearts. We're like, oh, i got to get to church. Or we agree to help a coworker or a neighbor out with a project because we feel guilty, because maybe they helped us out with something. You name it, whatever it is. But when we operate out of guilt, what we're doing is operating out of the exact opposite mentality that the gospel grants us. Jesus came into the world not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. I better get that right. Jesus came into the world not to be served, 
but disturbed. And what Martha didn't get correct, we said this last week, what Martha did not get correct is that she, she had that flipped around. She didn't understand her need to be served. She didn't understand the need that the God of the universe was extending to her the very words of life and how she could commune with Him. He was granting her that understanding. And she said, i got to serve. I have to do something. She was consumed with her weak, temporary actions. Rather than a God who is imparting the very words of life to her. So understanding that the gospel is a realization that you need to be served. That you desperately need to have your sin washed away. And no amount of work on your part can do that. No amount of work. You can, you can literally from this moment forward do things and things and things and things. And, and, and the scripture still tells us that those are like filthy rags before God. Your, uh, the, this is the fuel then that needs to, 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 to lead us to a life of obedience in God. The understanding of what has been done for us in Jesus is the fuel that, that leads us to this life of obedience. And that brings us joy. Rather than walking into a situation to serve one another and to say, oh, i got to do this, i got to show up, and i gotta, I got to help this person out. We say, no, like, I get to demonstrate mercy. I get to show grace to those because of the grace and the mercy that's been shown to me. So your self-reliance and self-determination gets you nowhere, and your guilt has been dealt with on the cross, and so we set them aside. We're actively setting them aside. So we need each other here, right? This is part of actively living together in community. We need each other here. Because we need people who come into our, come into our world and say, man, I, I think that your motivation here, I think that you're acting out of guilt, I think that you're acting out of self-reliance, I think you're trying to demonstrate something that isn't necessarily true about who, uh, who you are. You begrudgingly uh, desiring, if you desire to serve someone out of a heart of, of, of guilt or self-reliance, you'll do it begrudgingly. But if you do, if you serve, if you love out of a heart that has experienced service in, in, the, in the person of Jesus Christ, then you, will, um, then you will experience joy in it. And so here's the admonition, and we're going to wrap up our conversation with one thing. Here's the admonition, and the rest will be shorter, I promise Here's the admonition to us as the Buffalo City Church family to immerse yourself in the truth of the gospel and to help others do the same. To consistently be pointing one another back to the cross of Christ. To say that's where it's been paid for. That's where it's been, that's where it's been taken care of on your behalf. A friend of mine always says this to me. He says, give, he says don't give good advice, give good news. Don't give good advice, give good news. So what does that mean? It's like, your friend calls you on the phone. This is probably like, not my friend, but friends would do this, but I burned the cupcakes. Like, hey, I'm throwing you a party, I burned the cupcakes. What you don't say is, hey, try not, hey, how should you go? <laughs> that's, that's fine, I wouldn't say that's anyone else. Okay. Um, um, not, not trying to bake them at 375 instead of 475. I don't know who's trying to bake the cupcakes at 475. But don't try and bake, bake, try and bake them at 375 instead of 475. That's good advice. Sure. That is good advice. 
But what that person might need to hear more than that is good news. And the good news is, isn't it great that Jesus performs so that you don't have to? So what if our party doesn't have cupcakes? Or you hear from a friend, I yelled at my kids again. And like, good advice would be, well maybe you should count to ten. Tell my kids to count to ten. Maybe we should count to ten. What maybe they need to hear, isn't God's patience toward us incredible? That a person at work of Jesus covers our parental insufficiencies? Let's give good news and not good advice. That might sound awkward. Okay, I get it. Like that, that sounds a little awkward. We've got to practice that. Or we need to find relationships where we can practice that. Because that sounds awkward. Like if I were to go up to you and say, hey, isn't it great that, that God just demonstrated patience to us in Jesus Christ? That's a good time. Get out of here. But we need to practice that because that's what we're being called to do as people. And it goes, to, it goes without saying that as we think about that, that we have to be available to one another to, to actually do that. Okay, so, so Martha then, right? We, we, we want to we key on that understanding that the immersion in the truth of the gospel will keep us from poisonous, self-reliant guilt, which results inevitably in comparisons to one another, uh, which results inevitably in judgment and, and, and ongoing. Uh, just like at the end of, of, of verse, uh, or at the end of, in verse 41, uh, the worry and bother that Martha experiences. Okay, so the next three, and we'll go much faster through these. Uh, the next one is Mary, right? Mary. God's word, this is the takeaway, God's word moves us from guilt and self-reliance that we talked about with Martha to a genuine love for God. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, right? We see this in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and soaked up what Jesus calls in verse 42, the good part. And this is God's word. And I'm fully convinced that you cannot spend time in God's word right here. This is what it looks like to sit at the feet of Jesus and to soak up his word. I'm fully convinced that you cannot spend time in God's word and not be pressed to a place where that guilt and that self-reliance is, is not rooted out or part of an active part of your worldview. You might still feel guilty, but, but if you soak up the words of Jesus, the words of life that are contained within Scripture, um, that will be rooted out of you. So what does that mean? Again, I think we approach our Bibles, we approach serving others, we approach our Bible out of guilt. I do it. I should like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sit down and, and do my quiet time yesterday, and so what? So I feel guilty. So I come to God's word, and I feel guilty, and then I feel demobilized in my own mind, and I feel like I can't. I was like, I can't get into this text. I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, so I think we've been convinced as uh, or conditioned as a people that there's some magical formula involved when you approach the Bible, when you start to think about reading Scripture. Um, Probably because as kids we were taught something along, and this is not bad, don't hear me say this is bad, but we've been taught something along the lines of read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But that's good. Like our kids sing that, that's fine. It is true, it's true, but then when it doesn't happen, what you need to say is if you forget to, or if you don't, or if you're distracted, and you don't read your Bible every day, there's grace, grace, grace. I don't know, I don't know if that works, but <laughs> like musically. We say, shoot, I didn't read my Bible today, and we immediately feel guilty. So the question is, like, and then how do we deal with that guilt typically is we just we just ignore reading the Bible. We're just like, oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend any time here. 
Or, if we don't approach the Bible at a guilt, we approach it out of self-reliance. And then we look at something and we say, oh, I'm going to read my Bible today. And we sit down and we start reading and then we, we say, well, I didn't understand what I just read. And then, so instead of asking the Spirit of Christ to give us eyes to see His truth as He intends to communicate it in Scripture, we think that we can get a good understanding of what God is communicating to us by reading a couple of verses plucked out of the larger narrative of Scripture. Okay, so I, I took a book this, this week and I just pulled it right off my shelf and I just opened it up and I pointed to like the first sentence that I found and this is what I read. All we need to do is wait under the tree or until the tree bears fruit and we shall not have to wait long. What is that about? Was I, was I reading an apple tree enthusiast book? That's not my thing. So if you knew the context of me, then that's probably not what it is. But, I mean, is that from the Bible? No, no. It, it's, it's a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But the, the point stands if we just take this out of context and we just look at this one little snippet, all we're going to do is apply it and, and we're going to misapply it. We're going to, we're going to put it into a place in our, in our hearts um, and we're going to think along the terms of... And so, so what, what I'm admonishing you to this morning is to read your Bible well, to consider the context, to read larger chunks of Scripture, to spend time in it. So when we think we can get a good understanding of what God is communicating about who He is by just plucking one or two verses out of Scripture, I don't know how we, we got there, but we did as a society is. Christian subculture does this. We just pick one verse out and we just we say, oh, this is great, and, but we don't have a, a larger understanding of what God is communicating in His Word. So what we need to do then is we need to spend genuine time in God's Word thinking about what He is communicating to us. And when we talked about this, we talked about the fact that, that oftentimes there is a, there's a propensity in our own hearts to ask the question first, what does this mean for me? Again, that's not a bad question, but the question that needs to be asked first is, what is the truth that God is communicating about who He is? Because we can only truly know who we are when we recognize and understand who He is. So that's the idea here. We, that we move from guilt and self-reliance to genuine love for God when we sit at His feet, when we understand that, that we have not achieved our own salvation, when we understand that, that, uh, that guilt has no place, we need to soak up the words of life that are given to us in Scripture. Again, we need each other for this. We need each other for this. Okay, so let's move to the next one then. And this is the lawyer, right? Because we're kind of bouncing back even farther now. But, but this is the lawyer. Um, we often modify the commands of Scripture to try and justify ourselves. And I'm taking this directly from uh, verse 29. When we see the interaction with Jesus and the lawyer, um, and when we get to verse 29, this is the lead-in for the Good Samaritan, when he says, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer poses this question, who is my neighbor? Because if Jesus answered your fellow Jew, like we talked about earlier, then he perceived he would have kept the command. But Jesus responds with the parable of the Samaritan, not a Jew, and a man who, regardless of class, race, gender, was able to keep the command. Again, this is really messing with the worldview of the lawyer. And the Samaritan is the one who demonstrates mercy, as we see at the end, even by the lawyer's own admission, the one who demonstrates mercy, um, and uh, the one that ultimately who proves to be neighborly. 
So this concept, as we look at the lawyer, as we think about the lawyer, this concept stands for us. So um, he looked at the, the question, or he, he, he formed the question, who is my neighbor? And Luke gives us a glimpse into his own motivation and said, wishing to justify himself, wishing to make himself right. He said, who is my neighbor? So the question for us is, what commands are we modifying in Scripture to justify ourselves? Just like the lawyer wanted to modify this command from Leviticus 18 to love your neighbor as yourself, he wanted to take it and he wanted to turn it into something. So if Jesus said, your fellow Jew, then he said, I'm good. But that would be a modification of the command. Here's the big one for us. Hebrews 10 says, do not forsake the meeting together. You know, driving this point home this morning. Do not forsake the meeting to, meeting together. And some of you, even when you're talking about like Vision Sunday next week, some of you in this room have forsaken the meeting together. And I'm not saying meeting together, but meeting together is like meeting together with the primary intent of carrying out the one another's scripture with people. That was the idea. That was the New Testament church. The New Testament church was committed to people. This was a church that was persecuted. A church that was constantly, consistently under assault. Just read the book of Acts and see how, how often the church is under assault. So this is the idea of meeting together, being together, being committed to people. But we've substituted this this context, or, or, our, or our regular meeting time in a community group context, we've substituted that um, for the command of meeting together. We lowered the bar, and we've said, I've met it, I've done it, I've fulfilled my obligation, I've checked my checklist. So that's just an example for us, but, but again, the takeaway is this. We often modify the commands of Scripture trying to justify ourselves. In Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, a, a very popular passage in Scripture, in chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, Jesus goes, just takes everyone's understanding of, of the law and just elevates it to all new heights, right? He says, if there's a woman and you, he says, you've heard, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've violated the command. So you've heard it said, don't be angry with your brother or with, a, with, with, a, with another man. If you have done that, I'm telling you, or you've heard the command, do not murder. I'm telling you, if you have even engaged in anger in your own heart against another one, another person, another individual, you have violated the command. And he radicalizes the understanding of it to show us our desperate need for a Savior. But we take this, we just tend to do this, we just tend to say, hey, the bar is here, and we come in, if, we can, if I can come in just above the bar, that's okay. If the bar was here, where Jesus sets it, in, in Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7, if Jesus sets it here, but if I, just, if, I just, if I just lower it just a little bit for myself, I can come in above it, say, hey, look at me, I did it. That's what the lawyer is trying to do. He's trying to get there with Jesus here. So we often modify the commands of Scripture trying to justify ourselves. Okay, so the last one in this morning. This is the Samaritan. And there are just three things that are contained within this. 
Um, love for neighbor requires availability, intentionality, and risk. Okay? So as we look at the Good Samaritan, and this is, this is kind of where we'll wrap up, I'll give you a couple of concluding thoughts after this. But, but love for neighbor requires availability, intentionality, and risk. So as we look at this, we see the priest and the Levite who see the man beaten on the side of the road first, right? And, and the priest and the Levite, they didn't stop. And no reason is given, right? They don't, Jesus doesn't say it was because they, you know, they were headed to their kid's birthday party. But, but, so maybe they did have somewhere to go, or, or maybe they just didn't want to risk it. Remember we talked about the fact that this road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho descended like, I think it was like 3,000 feet, it just went down a long ways, um, and it was windy, and there were lots of caves and places for people to jump out. So, so contextually, as, as, the, as, the, uh, as his hearers would have heard this, it was like, yeah, that, that's a dangerous place. You'd probably get beat up if you just travel that road alone. And so there was some significant risk involved, and so maybe the priest and the Levite just didn't want to risk it. But the Samaritan shows availability, right? Despite his own journey, he stops. He's going somewhere. He's not just hanging out on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Seems like a dumb place to hang out. He's not just hanging out on that road. But he, despite his own journey, he stops. And the Samaritan takes a risk. Despite the fact that he was going to place himself in a vulnerable spot on a risky road, he stops. And the Samaritan was intentional. He treated the wounds of the man who was beaten and half dead and took him to an inn. And then he followed up with him. He said, I'm going to bring you back. He's like, whatever you need, uh, whatever he needs, I will repay you when I come back. And so what does this look like for us? Um, so, so the idea is that he's available, that he shows intentionality, and that he takes a risk. So, so what does this look like for us? Just to be available for hurting people in our world. What does this look like? This is messy and it's awkward. Right? It is. It just is going to be. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do that because it feels awkward. Or that, that's a, that person's a mess or whatever. But seriously, this is what merc being merciful looks like. It looks like demonstrating. Think about how, okay, if we think about where we were at before Christ, right? If we think about the fact that we were, we were completely dead. So that's a, that's a messy and awkward situation. It's a messy and awkward situation that did not stop Jesus from going to the cross to make a way for us. So being available for hurting people in our world might be messy or awkward, but it's what the call is for us. The thing is just that, take a risk. Slow down to help someone out and show them mercy. Maybe it means risking personal gain or setting it aside for a moment. We all have plans for ourselves, right? We all, we're all going somewhere. We've got something going on. But maybe it means risking personal gain for a moment and setting it aside. Maybe it means carving up margin of your leisure activities. Maybe it means allowing someone to see your messy floors, inviting them over and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't get to clean the floors. So that person is hurting. And you're worried about your messy floors. Maybe it means stepping into a situation that makes you feel uncomfortable because of the perceived differences with the person in need. But intentionally, uh, but, but if, we, if we think about this, the, the, the idea stands. We need to take a risk to slow down to, someone, to help someone out to then show them mercy. 
And then and finally, so, so being available for people in our own world, to taking risks, just like the Samaritan, and being intentional with people who are hurting in our world. Usually, like, what does this look like? It just means listening. Just listen, listen, listen. We're terrible listeners as people. But my wife could tell you this. Like, just a, I'm a terrible listener. We don't discipline ourselves to listen. And then go back to the idea that we have before to give good news, not good advice. So the command then is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the, the Samaritan is the positive example of what it means to, to love your neighbor. And so as you look at this, we can't walk away from this and, and think to ourselves, um, yeah, okay, love your neighbor. And then, and then think to ourselves, well, well but, but I've got stuff going on. So there are a few questions here. There's just to ask ourselves. Do you genuinely care that people have their financial needs met month to month? I think we, we respond in this way sometimes. Well, I see that person over there. Yes, they're, they're in need, but they've made some dumb financial decisions. The command is to love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor as yourself as long as they make positive financial decisions. I don't see that anywhere in the text. Love your neighbor as long as they make positive financial decisions. I don't see that anywhere in the text. We've all done dumb stuff with money at some point. Does that not mean that we desire for our own needs to be met? The command is to love your neighbor as yourself. To show mercy to those who are in desperate need of mercy. Another question. Do you genuinely care that some, some people's marriages are falling apart? Well, they should have been more available for their spouse. That's what we say. Well, you be more available for your spouse. Screw that one up. Again, the command is to love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor as long as they're always available for the spouse and they correct them out. If you're married, which one of you has not all or has always been available to your spouse the perfect amount? No, I can't. We've all been less accessible to our spouse than we should have been at times. Does that mean that we desire to have positive marriage relationships? Absolutely. There are people in our midst who are hurting. This isn't casual live and let live, right? There's this Robert Frost poem where he talks about, um, what's the name of the poem? Um, can't think of it. The Mending Wall. Surely you know The Mending Wall. The Mending Wall. Uh, within it, Robert Frost writes, uh, where he's, he's thinking along the lines. He, he goes up and meets his neighbor. And they're walking along this fence that's constructed between their two properties, right? And he's questioning, like, why does this fence exist? Like, why is this fence here? And they walk along the wall in the spring, and they say, okay, this is where we need to repair the wall to keep each other out. And his neighbor, his neighbor's mentality, the person in which he talks to, his neighbor's mentality is, uh, is good fences make good neighbors. Good fences make Good neighbors. And that's just a live and let live mentality, right? Live and let live mentality. But I think what's being communicated to us in Luke chapter 10 and throughout the whole of Scripture is that aggressive pursuit of the flourishing of others in the same way that we desire to flourish as necessary. The fact of the matter is that an awakening to the truth of the gospel is the way to flourish in this life. 
This is happiness. This is success. This is the way that we flourish. Our end, our, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to bring God glory. Yes, you do. It's here. It's contained here. The chief end of man is to know God, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever. It's all contained within the words. You're like, Mary, we need to sit down. We need to soak up the words of life that are given to us in the pages of Scripture. So in conclusion, I'm just going to give you this thought. This is, this is for the entire text. Verses 25 through 42, Luke chapter 10. Love God by knowing Him through His Word. That is the admonition given to us by God's servant Luke. Love God by knowing Him through His Word. His Word is printed before you were digitally something, coded. It's before you this morning. And His Word, as we're told in John chapter 1, is Jesus Christ. We know God by spending time in His Word. Knowing His Word, understanding who God is, and knowing God, it sheds light on who we are. That's why we can't come to this and ask the question, what does this mean for me first? We have to come to this and ask the question, who is God? And how do I know Him? It sheds light on who we are. And that's where a sinful, broken, desperate people in need of redemption and restoration. And we experience that. That's imparted to us by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then, and only then, loving God by knowing Him through His Word, and then, this will result in love for neighbor as an outworking of this love for God. If you know God, you will know others. If you understand your own condition, you understand the human condition. If you love God, if you know God, you will know others and what it means to love them, those who are created in God's image. And again, it doesn't mean good advice, it means good news. You will not only seek your own personal flourishing, but you will love your neighbor as yourself. Not your own personal flourishing, but love your neighbor as yourself. By directing them, by directing them back to God's word as the source of satisfaction and joy that comes through knowing God. That's what this is all about. That's what this entire text is about. We talk about a lot of nuances contained within here. But it's about knowing God and knowing Him through His Word and loving Him. And then as a result, as an outworking, as an overflow of that love that we've experienced in Him, demonstrating that love for others, seeking their own flourishing, which can only be found in them knowing God also. So as a people, let's make that our aim. Let's make it our aim to know God. Again, we come to the Bible, we come to it, we think to ourselves, ah, oh, 
I've got to do this. We come out of guilt and self-reliance and all of these different emotions are like swirling around us. And maybe we just, maybe, maybe there's a bunch of garbage going on at work. Or maybe we just had a fight with our spouse. Or maybe we just yelled at our kids. Or, or maybe things aren't going well at school. Or, or maybe, maybe just a whole host of things can be happening in our worlds. And all of those things are going on consistently and constantly. And yet, we know that we can know God, something that will not perish, that will not burn up, that will not go away, that will carry us into eternity and to everlasting joy. 